and welcome to The Effect Podcast, episode 175. And you gotta have faith, faith, faith. Ooh, you gotta have faith, faith, faith. I'm Dave. That's a really good rendition, Dave. That was all right, wasn't it? I don't know where. I don't know where the dis- we discussed before recording that there was. I had no fucking chance I was going to do that. But then suddenly the mood took me. So there we go. Uh, anyway, I'm Dave. If you didn't know already, and I'm Matthew, and I'm um, I'm very much enjoying the personal concert I'm getting from Dave. But this is not an all singing, all dancing episode. This. This is going to be a very efficient episode where we're we're going to run through a bunch of stuff and and then get this uh, out in the ether because frankly you and I have got too much shit to deal with this morning. Um, in fact, frankly, it's not even morning in fifteen minutes, and uh, we were planning to record this at half past nine. Yes. So we've got we've got no patrons uh, to thank, no new patrons to thank, uh, but thank you to all our existing patrons. Absolutely. You're lovely. Yeah, of course. We love you all. We do. We um, do. We've got just a little bit of world gaming news and we've got an idea that I've had about Coriolis that may well be related to the song that David sang earlier on. <laughs> uh, it's the final countdown. No. Uh, uh, no, it's not the final countdown. God, that <laughs> sounds like it's the last episode of the podcast. No, that's true. That's true. Uh, I don't think what else. Uh, uh, no, no, stop singing now. Stop singing, <laughs> David. <laughs> uh, you pulled a blinder on that first one, but I'm not sure it's going to carry on all no, the way. Okay, through. fair enough. I, uh, I'm not known for my singing, that's for sure. There, there is something you can tell us about, though, Dave, and that's in the world of gaming, which starts now. And it starts with a recent announcement from uh, uh, Free League, and that is Heart of Darkness. Indeed, yes. So yeah, they've uh, they've finally announced that um, Heart of Darkness, with a very nice bit of artwork um, mm. on the cover. I yeah. So um, they're getting pretty close to finishing that off. I had a, a message from Nils the other day saying, "Oh, remind me who the playtesters were." So uh, I had to send him a list of that. Um, but yeah, so that's... I'm not sure quite when it's going to be up for actual... Um, actual purchase? No, they've been very careful at not yeah. telling us what date it's going to be up. And um, I'm guessing that, um, you know, what with all the shenanigans they've had with deliveries over um, the One Ring and stuff like that. Yeah. Or oh, maybe we should talk a bit about the One Ring in a bit as well. But, yes, that's a good idea. Um, they're probably being a little bit soft on dates so that people don't get upset when deadlines get missed. Yeah, and it's it, it's almost like alchemy now with a lot of this, I think. It's it's impossible to judge when and where things will actually arrive when uh, mm. when you when you're when you're putting out your commitment to deliver them. So it's a real well, you know, well done Brexit. Keep on winning. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, don't um, talk to me about Brexit. So yeah, so uh, we shouldn't we shouldn't show our political colours on this program. But for fu- anyway, no, 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 I'm not going to go there. Uh, I should yeah. start singing again. That'd be more more pleasurable. But yes, yeah, so um, some people have noted on uh, on the the, the the social sphere um, that the image on the front of Heart of Darkness isn't actually a xenomorph. It is actually oh, a, yes. a deacon from Prometheus. And that's got a few people sort of talking and their tongues wagging about what the the scenario will actually involve. Now, you and I obviously both know what it involves. I think. Well, we... hold on, hold on, Dave. You've just done a list of playtesters, haven't you? 
Yes. For Nils. I was I on that list, Dave? No, you weren't. So I have no idea. <laughs> you I've, may well know. I've talked to you about it, haven't I? So, okay. I no, you haven't. Idea. So obviously I, <laughs> I, I know exactly what's going on. Um, so yeah, for me, again, it was a great opportunity to work on that. Uh, it was nice always of Drew when he puts out his announcement um, uh, uh, posts on Facebook. And I presume he puts it elsewhere. I, but I only see on Facebook that you know, include me in the in the in the team, which is great because I am, you know, I am a part of the You team. are the essential part around which everything else revolves. Yeah. I th- well, I'd like to think that I offer contribution which significantly enhances the quality of the product. Let's put it that way. <laughs> um, so again... So I'm, spoiler okay. free, uh, yeah. what can you tell me about the adventure? Um, I'm not sure how much could be spoiler free. It's the third in the trilogy of Chariot of the Gods uh, and Destroyer of Worlds. It's quite loosely connected. Um, It doesn't lead directly on from Destroyer of Worlds or from Chariot of the Gods, but there is a thread that runs through all three. And that thread Mm -hmm. is, is, uh, is largely resolved and revealed in, uh, in Heart of Darkness, which is cool. Um, it's it's going more towards the um, alien end of the genre rather than the aliens end. Oh, that's good because so I be, like the alien end. More there will be than less. There will be less end. opportunity to shoot stuff. You'll just have to find other ways of dealing with it. There was one great moment, which this probably isn't too spoilery, in mm. um, in the in the playtest when the players were cornered by something and they did a great little thing where they were able to decoy it into an airlock and then punt it out into space. And Mm. that was really cool. So it encourages uh, slightly more imaginative and innovative ways of dealing with what you might find in the scenario than just taking out your smart gun and gunning it down. Uh, So I think in that sense, those who are who are fans of the, as you said, the, the alien feel uh, of a one-shot mm. um, are going to love it. There's plenty in it for those who uh, are fans of the Colonial Marine style um, because there's lots, of, uh, there's lots of conflict, there's lots of things going on in the scenario that, that can uh, influence the player's actions and how the players manage to deal with the challenges that they're going to find themselves faced with. So... Um, it's quite difficult not to say spoilery stuff, so I'm I'm kind of deliberately. Not You're doing that. very well. I'm, I I don't, I don't feel at all what, spoiled. I don't know what the back cover blurb is going to be. I don't know if it's actually on. Um, on the on, thing, on the on posts the... that came out, I'll have a quick look whilst we're talking. Because um, then I might so, be able to say uh, a little bit more if, if there's stuff that's already been revealed. Answer me this while you're looking. Yep. Uh, how long did it take to play? Oh, it's, an, it's another biggie, potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, how long? I, I think it's, it's... So it's different in its style and feel to uh, Destroyer of Worlds, obviously. Mm-hmm. But you could potentially get a similar amount of gameplay out of it. So there's, it it depends how you manage that. There are things in the scenario that could, um, it kind of depends how the players play it and how the GM wants to run it. But there are things in it that could have uh, 
a big influence on the story and um, and take a lot longer to resolve or to work through. Whereas if the GM wants to, to sort of skip some of those and not really focus on them, you could shorten it obviously quite a bit. But I think, you know, if you wanted to run it, it's going to be a, a eight to ten hours probably at the at the minimum. You're probably looking at quite... It's, 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 there's a lot in it, as you'd expect from Drew. Mm. Uh, he, he is good at producing a lot of content. <laughs> He's not so good at bringing that content within a deadline, uh, within a within a word count. Uh, but that's one of his strengths. He's got an awful lot of uh, sort of imagination and creativity going into these stories. Um, mm. But yeah, so it's it's a it's a it's a chunky scenario. So I think you could probably run it in six hours if you s- zoomed through it at at full pace. But if you took a bit more time over it, you could easily run up to again, you know, twenty hours of gameplay out of it. I'm sure. Can I um, can I ask a question which you may choose not to answer <clears throat> if it is spoilery? Okay, go ahead. Are there engineers in it? Um, it's actually that's too spoilery because e- either you say I'm not going to answer that, in which case I will assume the answer is yes, or um, or you're going to say yes and then spoil it. Let me let me change or, the question. Yeah, yeah, or I say no and uh, yeah and spoil. Yeah, it. and lie or whatever. Yeah, but I'll still think. Yeah, and um, so I'm going to ask a different question. It, there have been references to engineers in the previous two adventures. Yeah. Well, in 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 particularly in Destroyer of Worlds. Is are, are the references to the engineers are they very kind of Prometheus esque or are they more mysterious like like we all mysterialized over them in the um in, in the you mean in the previous previous scenarios? Uh, well, I was going to say in, the, in you know so the engineers in the original film were unknowable. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people have a problem with what the engineers did or purport to have done in the previous two adventures. We may have seen engineers, although we didn't actually meet engineers in Destroyer of Worlds. Oh, I don't know where I'm going with this. Maybe we should just not have this conversation. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess it's a spoilery thing. Um, I... I uh, well, I'm just. I could just come out and say the kind of the answer to reveal. So, I what I would say is, don't expect to be running around with lots of engineers chasing you. Put it that way. Good, good. That that. I that, guess that's, that's probably as far as we can go. That uh, that that that's fine. I mean, I I I worry a bit that the direction in which the engineers were heading wasn't going to please some old fans. But if we're not running around with engineers chasing us, then I will only take that as a good sign. So I think, and it's, and it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, I th- me personally, although I'm not obviously the the creative mind behind the the actual um, meta storyline of this, mm-hmm. uh, which obviously that's Thomas and Nils and Drew in agreement with Foxney. Um, there's definitely there was definitely originally the idea that the engineers would feature in Alien RPG because it was mm-hmm. from the outset going to be including 
Prometheus. Yeah, and Prometheus Covenant and within its canon. Covenant, yeah. Which is yeah, yeah, which is which is fine from, which from, is fine, from, that, from that point of view. That's the deal. Um, in slight spoiler for the Colonial Marines um, operations manual, there there is some potential reveals, mm-hmm. mi- minor reveals about engineers in some of that. Uh, I personally would much rather not see the engineers at all. Okay, this is a better question. This is a better question, actually. The question I I was hinting at is this one. In this new adventure, if if people are of a like mind with you and would rather not feature the engineers at all or or want to portray them as an unknowable and not a concrete thing, can they get away with that in this adventure? That is the question I was really getting at. (laughs) It's taken five minutes to get there, but you've done it. The answer is yes. Good. Good. I, I think, Good. Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So I've just just found um, something here. I don't think it says very much. No, I didn't read it. much. So, uh, so here it says, "Heart of Darkness" is a standalone adventure, but also serves as a conclusion to the Draconis Strain Saga, begun in Chariot of the Gods and continued in Destroy of Worlds. The expansion is designed for three to five players plus the game Mother and is a spiralling descent into soul-crushing madness. Hold on, did they call the saga the Draconis Strain? Yes. Then I have another bit of world of gaming news for you. Okay. I think, we, I think we've exchanged this, or people have exchanged the, the photo on our Discord a couple of times, but there is a fabulous um, model of a dragon from... A company which I haven't heard of before, or a brand which I haven't heard of before, but we've got them in at the shop. Um, called, uh, <laughs> plug, the Xeno plug, Dragon. Plug. Yeah. I, I didn't even mention the game shop or the shop. What well, you can you say, accuse you me of? You did say doing? the shop. <laughs> yeah, but I saw it in the shop. You know, I mean, you know, I saw it in the magazine. I'm not plugging the magazine, but I saw it in the shop where I work, and which has it in stock, and it's a Xeno Dragon, which happens to be an older shot. And, uh, yeah. and it's a dragon with with various features that you might Zen- expect to Zen- find Wolf. in oh, your cool. yeah, favourite. Yeah. I did see the picture of that on our Discord. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think uh, one of our, uh, I think Bruce said he'd already got one. But either way, um, yeah, it's uh, th- th- there's a model. Maybe maybe that's what's going to happen. Is there going to be a big dragon at the end of this adventure? <laughs> um, don't get your hopes up. <laughs> Well, right, I think we something we're, much worse than that. <laughs> worse than a dragon is that's inconceivable to any role player who spent all their time playing um, Dungeons and Dragons. Five. <laughs> well, I think you, what you, what you then need to do is get Heart of Darkness, play it, and find out because there is something right. worse than that. Okay, worse than that. Now yeah. you just trampled all over my attempt to set up a segue there. <laughs> Did you spot it? Uh, well, I did, yes, but um, I was I was happy just to continue the conversation. Okay, so yes, dragons—they're deadly and terrible things, aren't they, Matthew? Go on. Uh, and Dungeons and Dragons—some people might describe that as deadly and terrible. Not me, of course. Whatever you want to play at your table is entirely fine to you. But we um, we received some slightly disappointing news uh, this yeah. week. Indeed. So um, the Dark Souls role-playing game. Which, Which we, we spoke about what four weeks ago, something, something like, like that. that yeah, yeah. Um, and I think on that episode we were saying, 
Oh, I really hope that they translate the, the Japanese mechanics into a lovely game that will be new and innovative and exciting for us to see and not do the easy, boring thing and just do a 5e reskin. Yeah. And what have they done? So what have they done? What have they done, Dave? What have they done? <laughs> oh, you got to have faith, faith. No, they've just done a 5e reskin. Good yeah. old, well done. Oh. I don't so know I why. think that's probably... I don't know why. I mean, what's... Is that just... Is it just too difficult to translate the the core mechanics of the the original game, or are actually the core mechanics just shit, or are they jumping onto the five E bandwagon and hoping that having five E tacked on the top will make more sales? Um, well, it could be all of those things. We don't know. We honestly, I mean, it was um, uh, our patron Andrew. Uh, um, uh, I'm, I'm just thinking of all the different Andrews. Uh, Andrew from America, uh, <laughs> not not Andrew Brick, um, who who mentioned the Japanese game and yes. how that had been quite well received. Um, so we none of us have played that game. It could be shit. Um, we don't know, do we? It, it we could be, but know. I think I think from what Andrew was saying on the Discord, uh, I think it was it, it had it had received high praise from mm. the gaming community in Japan. So, uh, you know that that I don't know. It maybe it is shit, but but yeah. Even if it was shit, you could have really you know you could have done a Simbarum, could have released it in its original uh, mechanics, and then do a five E, and then do a five E, five E um, to try and spread the spread the love, as it were. Who was it? Was it Jonathan, uh, one of our patrons on the Discord, or something I read on social media that? Uh, who said that you know, to to make D and D like um, uh, like Dark Souls, you'd need to strip so much out of it, you'd be left with Morkborg. <laughs> yeah, I didn't see that. No, that's interesting. So I um, see. I don't know much about Dark Souls. Um, no, and this uh, is the problem we had a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and how it would translate into you know a system like Five E, or whether another system would be more appropriate for it. Um, mm. so but there is a thing about 5e is generally a game that you win i mean particularly in its fifth edition D is a game that you win you know you you do heroic shit all yeah. the time and yeah. um you know it, it, you're you're kind of superheroes and i'm not sure that Dark Souls, again, I think it was Jonathan or somebody was saying, you know, Dark Souls is a game where you die all the time. The point of the game is you die often. Yeah. A lot of video games, actually, you know, even though your character lives forever because you just respawn. <laughs> yeah. It's often about dying. And I'm not sure. Yeah, I guess you could take some 5e stuff out and put some out and you respawn. Um, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we don't know enough about either the original game or 5e to really pass judgment. No, that's true. I mean, I haven't played much 5e. I've played a little bit, but not loads. I enjoyed it, um, but not enough to want to keep prioritising playing it over other stuff that I want to play. Um, but again, yeah, back in the old days, in the old AD&D games, you, you basically did have a chance to respawn because you had... Uh, certainly in my experience, your characters would eventually get hold of a ring of regeneration. And so you could then respawn as many times as you've got points of constitution. Um, so it basically made you immortal. Uh, well, not immortal, but but pretty heroic. 
And so maybe you've already got that kind of vibe in D&D anyway. So I don't know mm. whether you get something similar in 5e or whether it's as easy to, to do that in 5e. Well, I think there's quite a lot of resurrection and respawning, yeah. actually. You're right. Yeah. Maybe I just complain too much. <laughs> I've been saying that about you for 45 years, mate. You know, so uh, nice, to, nice to see that personal bit of self-awareness has finally arrived. Thank you. Now, you'll notice that when I originally uh, mentioned Morkborg, I used the resolutely English pronunciation, and I was surprised you didn't correct me on, um, on and, and give me the Swedish one. I'm, I'm so beyond trying to do that now. It's fine. You know, it's, it's, that joke was, was shit in the first place, so there's no point just flogging that dead horse, is there? Okay, but I just want to point out that that was another attempt to lay the groundwork for an... Yet another segue. the next segue, yes. Yeah. Which is to talk about Orkborg. <laughs> yep. Or, unless the Orcs pronounce their name, Urk. But there's Urk. no double O. There, that, no... that sounds a bit odd, doesn't it? We're the Urks. Mm, okay, <laughs> that's not quite so terrifying. Uh, yes, but Orkborg is a game from the producers of Spire and Heart. So um, Yes. Uh, and, and also from, uh, I think... Uh, um, uh, Jelly Muppet, who is behind um, Orbital Blues, is also something Ooh. to do with it. So it's very much homegrown, as in UK talent there. Yeah, and they're they're hitting. I can't remember whether it's Kickstarter or something. We'll find a link and we'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Um, but it's got all the aesthetics of uh, Merc Boyer, but um, <laughs> uh, that which is to say, pink, yellow, and black. Um, but it's about orcs, and I imagine it's going to be a little bit like some of those orcish games where um, everybody's a little bit stupid and stuff. But I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to comment. Not stereotyping orcs or anything, are we now? Well, yeah, I worry that it might be stereotyping orcs because in Merkborg, everybody is a little bit stupid anyway. <laughs> That's part of the spirit of that game. I still haven't so played it actually. Why can find it to? Yeah, we must we must get a game out. We must definitely do that. Um, maybe record it um, again because uh, the original run I did of Merkborg is still one of our most popular YouTube videos. Yeah, cool. And we've yeah. never done it on the podcast. I'd be interested to give it a go. Yeah, well, along mm. with just about everything else I've got, I'm never going to play. Which brings but. me on to another point that I thought we ought to talk about. Actually, and this isn't in our show notes, so forgive me here, but. Um, but we've kind of hit the end of the world of gaming. Uh, we may want to talk a little bit about the one thing in a bit. But before that, I want to bring up uh, the very sensible challenge that Thomas and I think Paul or Noble on the um, on the Patreon have um, uh, set themselves to actually play the games they've bought. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Now, they, I mean, they are. I mean. Bless them, but they are naive fools if they think they can achieve that. That is just well, that is the holy grail for role players. It's just unattainable. <laughs> I don't know. I just wonder whether this should be the year in which we all set ourselves an objective. It doesn't need to be every game you've bought because I can't see myself getting round to playing Phoenix Dawn Command this year. <laughs> um, but I just wonder whether, you know, we, we spent a lot of money on Kickstarters, which uh, um, Johan and I talked about in the last... Yeah. episode and and maybe we should actually resolutely do what thomas is doing where he's trying to do at least one game a month 
online with our help, with the help of the wonderful community uh, that we've and built up Discord, around yep. our Patreon Discord, um, and to actually get some of those games played. So we mm. played the, one of those games. Uh, we played Temples and Tombs, mm. which um, we talked about with Christopher Gray we had on the show uh, last year when he was kickstarting it. And how did so, it go? Was it good? Uh, well, we love the setting. We love the way that Christopher Gray has effectively decolonialized right. that pulp fiction adventure. Okay, cool. Um, and I don't want to—I don't want to spoil too much about it because it was a published adventure and it <clears throat> had a great um, twist in it that I really don't want to spoil, spoil. for everybody. But it was thoroughly. Thoroughly great adventure. I played Cliff Secord or Secord, the Rocketeer, and um, uh, we we have the other characters from there, PV, and uh, everybody else as well from that movie. Have you seen the Rocketeer movie from Disney? Is it quite an old? I saw one that was around years ago. It was very old. Yeah, it was yeah. back when I lived in Hartford. Uh, yes, uh, and so, sort of um, with the nine thirties, so yes, but a very yeah. long time ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Saturday morning serial style yeah, stuff. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, Disney have not just got a kids version of Rocketeer doing the rounds on Disney Plus now, but they're also um, making it as a Disney Plus series with oh. uh, David Oileo, um a fine British black actor, as Cliff Secord, and that was um, he was that that was the image we used for my character as well. Uh, okay, cool. so I'm looking forward to that. But that's that's a, that. So the world is lovely. But we decided that the rules simply overcomplicate. I was going to say that was my kind of main thrust of my question: was how did the rules and the mechanics play out? We didn't like them. Okay, what was was too complicated? Did you say? So yeah, so there's there's a number of different, um, for want of better words, uh, meta currencies in there. So when you push, you get a luck dice, and a luck dice works a bit like a stress dice. But also, when you get extra successes, you can spend them on hero dice. So that's a third sort of dice that you're rolling. Right. And um, uh, and so you've got all these three dice. So for a start, then we realized we'd got um, kind of, you know, the wrong numbers of different colored dice. Because apart from luck dice and hero dice, you don't do different stat and skill dice, for example. Yeah. They're all just in one, which means you need actually more dice of one colour than most sets have. Luckily, okay, I have right. two packs of Forbidden Lands dice, so I had plenty, but um, you're, you're kind of really struggling. Our, um, our our little effect set that we gave to our top-level patrons last year wouldn't actually cover it, so there's that for a problem to begin with. Then yeah. there's this thing where, you know, you can get effectively a fumble on your luck dice, which is, you know, a one. One in six, um, yeah. Yeah. But also you can get a, a six on your hero dice, which is going to be an extraordinary success. And, you know, how how those interact, I don't think was terribly clear. Um, OK, yeah. So you could do yeah. you could be heroic whilst fumbling at the same time. Yeah, uh, which, you know, I mean, we 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 bashed a narrative out of it. I think, you know, if you're a really narrative group of players and I imagine Chris for Gray's group are quite a lot like that because they're all you know his his previous games are kind of PBTA hacks, so you need to be yeah. very much into the story and yeah. less into the dice rolling. Um, 
uh, that could work quite well. But I think we found ourselves in this pulpy adventure not rolling dice because we didn't want to get involved in those mechanics, which feels okay. to me like the wrong reason to not roll dice. Yeah, um, yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. yeah, it's not it's not my favourite Year Zero system. Let's leave it at that. Right, okay, okay. Uh, but, you know, interesting. Yeah. I, I, I do hope, and I, I, I'd be very interested to hear from our listeners, uh, if you're, you know, communicating with us on Twitter or via our email account, effectpodcast at, uh, sorry, feedback at effectpodcast.org, <laughs> effect with a K, of course. Uh, you know, tell us about the games that you're going to play this year. And yeah. um, even if it's only a one-off. I think that's an interesting challenge, actually. Yeah, because there, hmm. there are some games that I've got that I've got ideas for that I really keep saying, oh, I want to play that. But then I never get around to actually managing to squeeze it into the to the, to the limited time I've got. <clears throat> yeah, so, I'm going to get to play um, The One Ring on Sunday. Yeah, cool. I'm going to run it, indeed. Oh, wow. I'm going to run it for my colleagues at the game shop in Audishop. Oh, nice. I'll be interested to hear how, um, yeah. how, you, how you find it. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Shall we move on? Yes, we've talked enough. Yes, I think. What were, were you going to talk about? Something about the One Ring? Was that just that you're going to play it next week? Well, uh, so yeah. Actually, let's just talk briefly a little bit more about the One Ring. So, World of Gaming continued. <laughs> um, it's an encore. Now we, it's an encore. That's I, I, excellent singing. You and I, I, which package did you go for? Did you go for the My Precious package with the fabulous book? I got uh, yes, I got the version. I got the um, the yeah the the special edition book, and then the Rivendell thing, and oh, that's about it, I think. Oh, and the starter set, obviously. Cool. Um, so I got those as well, but I also got the basic book. And actually, the basic book is the one I really want to talk about at the moment. Um, the the ribbon, you know, the deluxe book is lovely. Uh, of course, the inside is entirely the same as in the basic yeah. book. It's all about the cover. But I'm so impressed with the level of detail on the basic book. And I'm going to get all nerdy and print now. But these guys at Freely, they think I, I, so much, so well about print. Asked. Should I? You're, going to go on about, you're going to go on about fonts and typesetting and layout now, aren't you? Which is really boring. No, no. I am not going to mention typesetting. I am not going to mention fonts. What I'm going to mention is the gloss that they put on the front cover of the okay. book. Okay. <laughs> so if you get the standard book, which is in itself a thing of beauty, you've got this very modern looking um, red ring with... Uh, Images of Dark Sar Lords and Sarons. heroes. Yeah. And to make that really pop, they've uh, put a bit of gloss over that. So the the, the, the book feels kind of linen, linen-y, fabric-y on, uh, where the gloss isn't. But oh, they've got an overprint over that image that makes it all shiny and smooth. But right at the top of that image, they've got the name of the company, Free League, that we know and love. And that isn't glossed and i just <laughs> i just love that little bit of detail oh my god matthew what are you doing 
that that is the attention to detail that I want for uh, Game of the Old West when we do it. I don't disagree. Anyway, I'd, I'd never noticed that, and I've, I'm looking at it now. And you are right. The actual yeah. typeset, the, the 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 print for Free League is not shiny, but behind it is shiny. Yeah, I just love that. I wonder how much that added to the cost of the book for doing that. Well, like obviously there was a, an increase to the cost of the book for putting the shiny bit on anyway. But yeah. no, it cost nothing to make sure that the freely bit wasn't. Um, well, it didn't cost nothing, of course. It it cost it, it cost a minuscule part of the of the fee that the graphic designer yeah. uh, charged for that bit of work. But they thought about that, and that's what I just love about freely. They think so carefully about how the book feels in your hands. That, yes. Um, yeah. Of course, they get the dice wrong, but let's let's gloss over that. <laughs> I haven't read it in any great detail yet, so I've, I've, I'm not qualified to comment on the mechanics, but I will do. Uh, <laughs> uh, the mechanic. So again, this is maybe because I'm running this game next week. I'm I'm reading it first. I've read the starter pack, uh, which is great, by the way. The adventures mm. there are beautifully small in scale, and the challenges feel incredibly Tolkien-esque. Cool. Um, so much so that I think somebody coming to it from something like D&D or other fantasy role-playing might go, oh, my God, this is so boring. <laughs> but somebody coming at it from a love of a Tolkien, yeah. they're going to love it because it just feels like you're part of the world in a way that, you know, I used to, I didn't used to play Merp, but um, the, the Tolkien, the, the Middle-earth supplements were yeah. with Rollmaster. And I had some of those as well, but they never felt really properly like Tolkien. Yeah, okay. And I didn't know back at that age, I was, what, 14, 15. I didn't know what I wanted, but I knew these weren't quite it. Yeah, okay. And and this is actually showing me what you want out of a Tolkien game. Yeah. I think. Cool. So I'm looking yeah. forward to playing it. I'll give you a report after we've, after we've played it. Yeah, that'd be good because I've, I've got it. It's, it's, it's on my, my little sort of, desk downstairs in the living room where I spend most, most most of my time on my computer waiting for me to pick it up and sit on the sofa and read it. So it's in prime position to do that. I just haven't done the actual picking up and sitting down yet. But, cool. Yeah. Cool. Right. Now, I said it before, but I'm going to say it again. Shall we move on? Yes. Let's. Uh, yeah. So um, I think we're moving on to your... Your discussion of um, darkness points and related issues. Faith. Like, we've got to have faith. Two things coincided to bring me to this point. On our Discord, we rehashed the old discussion about darkness points being the clumsiest of the push mechanisms in Year Zero games and potentially encouraging a confrontational relationship between the GM and the players. And on Facebook, a new Coriolis GM was eager to play the game, but not comfortable with worship of the icons being so embedded in the mechanics. These two discussions made me think of something I had not thought of before, something that in retrospect I'm surprised I've not considered over the last year or so. Now, forgive me listeners, but I'm going to use you as a sounding board. But before that, an aside. 
In our long-running Coriolis campaign, Mercy of the Icons, we have reached the last act in the shadow of the zenith. On our YouTube stream, at least, the podcast version is some months behind. And I have recently reread something that, on consideration, makes me a little angry, so please bear with me as I have a little rant. You will find the offending lines on page 204 of The Last Cyclade. I will quote it with redactions to be spoiler three. No new darkness points are generated at the beginning of the act, but it contains two major events that replenish your darkness point pool. The moment the redacted is announced and when the redacted, pages 211 and 214. Now, I have never, never felt the need to top up my darkness point pool at the beginning of an act. But I resent the idea that when bad things happen, yes, the two redacted events are bad things, the GM is awarded darkness points. The whole point of darkness points is to fuel the bad things in the story. When bad things happen, the GM spends darkness points. They should not be getting more. I'm going to be berating Ricard and Troya over this. Right, rant over. Now, the meat of the article. Let's address the second discussion first. Personally, I love that icon worship is embedded in the mechanics of the game, and I would not play Coriolis without it. What you do at your table is entirely up to you, but I kind of think you're missing the point of Coriolis if you don't have the players worshipping the icons. Seriously though, there are alternatives if you don't want to pray. The simplest would be to port Alien's stress mechanic over, or rather to port the more interesting setting of the Third Horizon into Alien. But you could also, with a bit more work port over conditions from Versen or Tales from the Loop, or with a lot more work and different coloured dice, stat damage from Forbidden Lands or Mutant Year Zero. All of these games are religion-free. Yes, there are gods in Forbidden Lands and priests even in Versen, but you don't have to do anything about them mechanically. And they're also more elegant, less confrontational, cost mechanics for those people who like the prayer in Coriolis but don't like the darkness points. We have often talked on the show, however, about how the push mechanic changes the spirit of the game. For example, how Versen and Tales from the Loop are minimal rolling games where the chances of failure are high and players often look to talk their way out of difficult situations. How the stress mechanic of Alien emulates the tone of the films. How pushing in Forbidden Lands and Mutant Year Zero add to the resource management feel of these survival games. So, if you want to play in the spiritual, mystical future of the Third Horizon, you need a mechanic that reflects, or more importantly, encourages religiosity. And I suddenly realised that we have one. In our Tales of the Old West game, in our... Tales of the Old West game, we are looking at a period when colonisation of the American West was explicitly driven by Manifest Destiny, 
And our push mechanic revolves around faith. We say, in what I think is the latest revision, every character has faith. This can be their religious faith, faith in their family, faith in their own self-belief, or anything else. Each player should write their outlook down in one short sentence of half a dozen words. Now, we do make clear that faith does not need to be Christian or even religious, but this is a time when most people in the stories of the West go to church. Each character also has a pool of faith points. These are connected to their faith and spent to push their roles. At the start of each adventure, a character will have two faith points, but you earn more faith points in play. We describe a number of ways in which a character can earn faith, many of which reflect the tropes of the genre that we are trying to emulate. Some are momentary actions or events, for example, taking an action that moves you towards your big dream, experiencing something that tests and affirms your outlook, or if you put yourself in danger to help a partner, your partner also earns a faith point through your sacrifice, you have affirmed their faith too. Every time that you score four or more successes on an ability test, whenever you stand up to a rival, choose non-violence when violence is the only option, serve frontier justice, take revenge, survive an illness, save a life or pray to your god, ancestors or spirits. Other things we call rituals take a while longer, a whole shift in game terms. Getting drunk. Getting drunk, of course, has other negative effects. Spending time on your own in nature. Grooming your horse or a companion animal. Dismantling and cleaning your gun or sharpening your blade. Participating in a church service or equivalent ritual with others. Sharing a quality meal around a table with friends. Around a campfire doesn't count. Sleeping one full night in a secure, warm bed. You earn two faith points if it's with your lover, but no points if it's with a soiled dove. This is about companionship, not sex. Some of these might work in the third horizon, but I imagine other ones that are more fitting for the setting. Giving alms to the poor, making a sacrifice at a chapel. The core book lists the sort of sacrifices that each icon prefers. We also have rules for mishaps. I don't think they're relevant to this discussion. Many Coriolis GMs say that though they might pay darkness points when bad things happen in Coriolis, in any other game they'd make those things happen anyway when narratively appropriate. Which brings us on to cost. The Year Zero engine is all about the cost of a reroll. Stress and panic in Alien, Banes or attribute damage in Forbidden Lands, conditions in Versen. What should the cost of prayer be? I'm going to argue that with the faith system, that cost is paid up front. The time you take role-playing your devotion and collecting faith points is enough for the somewhat pulpy nature of the game. 
Let the GM make those bad things happen at will. Maybe give each supernatural creature a small ball of its own points to use its powers. Anyway, that's what I'm thinking right now. But it's an unfinished thought, a work in progress, as it were. There are still unanswered questions like whether mystic powers and talents are powered with faith. I think they are. But I'd be interested in your feedback. Yeah, interesting. I think we've we've had many and frequent conversations about darkness points, um, but it remains a conversation that, you know, remains fresh, I think. You know, every time we talk about it, mm. it's a conversation that has legs. Now, um, obviously, I haven't read any of the Mercy of the Icons campaign, um, but in... You know, I, I, I know that you are more uh, religiously following the the rules around darkness points than I've tended to when I've when I've run Coriolis. In that, you will spend them for a bad thing to happen. You will spend them to activate the abilities of of you know, nasty creatures from the dark between the stars, which I probably would as well to do that. But I, I, I think I I don't feel tied to darkness points if i want things to happen mm-hmm. um, and i think i, I think will, many gms GM, agree with you on that yeah 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 and i think an interesting thing you know what i've kind of learned i think is that i might well make them happen anyway but yeah well okay two two things at play in the way i'm in, in my gming style one is you guys give me so many darkness points yeah so i'm never there's never a bit where the book says a bad thing should happen and i haven't got a darkness point to spend on it yeah very rarely there are times sorry sorry. yeah i was gonna say very rarely there are times when i run out of darkness points and i say oh well you know so and so would parry that shot but i'm i don't have any darkness points so um so you you get to you get that shot and that i kind of feel that it's worth saying that when that happens uh, so that you yeah, f- I think feel simi- good about I, it. Yeah, I think similarly, I, I feel there have there've been times where something is happening and I use that as an excuse just to ship off a couple of darkness points because I've got too many. Absolutely, yeah, and I'm it, doing and that too. And it kind too. of spoils the point of having them because actually, I, I, as a GM, I'm then thinking, well, I've got all these darkness points. I don't want to have this many. Oh, that's happened. Great. I'll, I'll use, okay, I'll get rid of three yeah. darkness points just willy-nilly well, just to reduce my pile. But the thing I think you should do then, and I try and remember to do there, is to, you know, bring bring to your players' attention, which is difficult in the game we're having online, that you're spend, you are spending those darkness points on it. Because I think that kind of then adds significance to the shitty thing that happened. Yeah. In this game. Yeah. You do, it doesn't add, you know, I'm not saying that if we were playing another game where there aren't darkness points and that shitty thing that happened doesn't, you know, uh, is... is is no less significant in that game than it would be in, in Coriolis. I quite enjoy pointing out, oh, I'm spending darkness points on this, so you know it's bad. Yes, like, there is, there's definitely a thing in the game as a player when when I hear you saying, you know, oh, I'm spending darkness points on it, do, I do get a sense of, oh, okay, what the hell's coming? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, or what, you know, what's, what's... what's or even what's, retroactively, like I remember, yeah. you know, it was kind of your idea, or Tony's idea, when I said, oh, there's a body, and... Uh, Tony said, oh, I'm checking to see whether it's Noor. And yes. I thought, it might as well be. And I've got a bunch yeah. of darkness points. So uh, here, 
I spent five darkness points, and I think I made Tony even roll on empathy uh, yeah. to defend against taking those five darkness points as as Damage. hits. Yeah. And uh, the other I, thing I do now, I, sorry, as, a, as a digression, mm-hmm. what would have happened if we'd found Nor alive at any point? If that isn't too spoilery. so. Uh, in this scenario, it kind of ignores Nord's existence until right at the end in the hospital in the Sultra Marshes. Right. And then it says, if you want, you know, if you want to reward the players with something nice happening, they find Nord alive here. And can rescue her. And they can rescue her, right. yeah. So she's actually got no other further uh, like, no. like influence on no. the plot. She's just there to be rescued or found dead. Yeah. Right, okay. Yeah, sorry, um, so, I, dig- I digress. No, but that, that, it's interesting talking about what what you might have done. So, yeah, like in the yeah. in the latest adventures, um, Paul um, pulled a blinder. <laughs> there was in the latest bit we streamed. You were meant to go to three safe houses, and you know, and and whichever order you did them in, you'd find the same sequence of stuff happening. But by doing his his divination bit, Paul kind of yeah. and lucked out because I got him to roll a dice and one or two, he'd get a vision from the first one you visited. Yeah, yeah. But he got a five or six, uh, so I I let him get a vision from that one. So he kind he knew that's where the conflict would be. So obviously that's where um where the judge would be as well. And, yeah. And, I love that. So, so you missed out on a couple of bits that I would happily tell you about if you were interested in them. I like, I like explaining what people missed out on, uh, just to, just <laughs> to like, prove that it isn't actually as railroady as it seems. You're like, you're like Jim Bowen on Bullseye. Look at what you could have won. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's a, it, it's kind of for me. It's often look at the shitty things I could have done to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and actually, that's, um, as a player, that's quite nice as a, as a kind of a, a like a, like a debrief of the scenario. Because yeah. I won't play this again, so there's content there that I would otherwise never actually get to experience in any way, and even just sort mm. of being able to, to talk about it is quite would be quite cool. Yeah, well, yeah, that's why we do a podcast, mate. Isn't it? <laughs> just so you and I can. Talk about. But one of the things I just have to, you know, while we're talking about uh, most of the icons not being as railroady as it seems, yeah. And it's written in quite a railroady fashion, but that's, I think, only to help a GM come along with the story. It doesn't take much effort to divert from the script. And I'm trying to kind of play it as written. But when you do something that that upsets it, I'm, I'm happy to go with that. And yeah. It doesn't take much effort to change it. But as I said in this piece, I have a problem hmm. with this thing. And in fact, as I wrote yeah. this piece, I, I talked about this particular quote that I've got in there from... Actually, what's just happened to you guys? Um, so, without spoiling it too much for people who aren't listening, um, the events of the last scenarios or the l- last couple of sessions should, where crappy things happened to you, yeah, and they should have given me darkness points. Yeah, it says take four darkness points when this thing happens, and another four when this thing happens, and. To me, that that is antithetical to the whole darkness point mechanic. Yeah, I, yeah, the whole. I think you know, for me, the whole point of darkness points is that's this is the karma that your players are building up, and it's player action that and player choice that drives the amount of darkness points you have. 
rather than yeah. rather than arbitrarily giving out a load more. Because yeah, because I felt I kind of felt I, I agree with you. I think I I as a GM, if I was running it, I wouldn't take those darkness points. No, and I didn't in those cases. In fact, I paid darkness points out. Um, yeah, but it's. I'm just thinking there may have been occasions in the past where I didn't particularly pick up on that in that negative way, and I may well have even said to you guys, "And oh, I get a couple of darkness points here." It says so in the rule book. Yes, uh, for which I now um, retrospectively apologise. I'm not uh, going to take any darkness points away, so, but sorry, so, so, I was so, wrong to agree so, with the rule book there. Say that again. Well, I retrospectively apologise. Uh, yeah, I was wrong. I'm just enjoying it. <laughs> okay. Say it again. No. <laughs> You've had enough. Uh, you're growing as a human being, Matthew. Do you realise that? <laughs> you're growing, finally. <laughs> Where you feel confident enough to admit to your many, many mistakes. Anyway, actually, the uh, the the uh, I, so I'm going to have words with Ricard when we next get to uh, speak uh-huh. to him uh, because I am not happy with that change, yeah. and I don't I really don't think it's what uh, Coriolis GM should be doing. It kind of makes a mockery of the whole darkness point economy. Actually, mm. I mean, I do wonder other other tables may not be so generous with their pushes and may not give the GM as much darkness, but. Frankly, I'm happier that the GM goes, well, I'm going to make this thing happen anyway, even if I haven't got the darkest points to spend on it, than, yeah. oh, a, a crappy thing's happened, therefore I get darkest points, which makes a crappy thing happen. Yes. Another yeah, crappy yeah. thing happen. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, in, it's interesting, one, isn't it? <clears throat> I wonder if we had, you know, Ricard, Nils, Thomas, and the others in the room with us, how how big a pool of darkness points they expect playing groups to generate uh, as the designers of the game. Because I, mm. I, mean, I you know some groups and some players who push very, very rarely. And in fact, one, one of, uh, one of the characters in my campaign, Dean's character was, was a, a rebel from Zalos B and was so against the icons. He didn't push at all. Unless he, it was the judge. He would refuse to... No, he would just refuse to, to yeah, recognise right. the icons at all. And then it was an interesting point. I can't remember how it happened because we were building to the point where he did actually break that and push in order to save someone's life, which was a really cool moment. But that's unusual. And I, I did feel slightly uneasy on, on Dean's behalf because he was... For, a narrative, for For good narrative reasons, he was taking away a mechanical advantage that the other players had that he then didn't. Um, but he was quite happy to play it. Like, he wanted to play it that way, which is great. Yeah. Um, so you might find there are some groups who are very, very careful and cautious about generating darkness points. But I think also, actually, uh, talking about your GMing style, only once have you decided to, okay, I'm going to unload all my darkness points in this scene. And in that mm. scene, we were all critically wounded and all captured and were lucky that one of us wasn't killed. And that was fine. But I wonder if a GM who, when he gets a darkness, darkness point, spends it very quickly on something that is actually meaningfully a pain in the arse yes. or a problem or a threat. Because if you had that much quicker uh, action consequence, 
you might be more cautious about generating darkness points. So for me and Tony, I think in particular, and the guys in our in our group that are playing on the Monday night, um, the 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 bad thing that comes of generating all these darkness points feels so far away that in this moment where I've got to shoot that guy or he's going to shoot my mate, it makes no difference at all whether you get an extra darkness point or not. Um, yeah. Because that bad outcome, the bad consequence of all that pushing is a long distance in the future. Whereas if as a GM, you are punching them back quite quickly by spending those darkness points early. Uh, although it's not always easy to do that as a GM, I never, I didn't always find it easy to, to find a narratively like consistent and satisfying thing to very quickly drop a darkness point on them that they've just given me. But maybe if you could find a way of doing that, then the players would be much more cautious about pushing. Yeah, I did for a time decide, and I think I got this from Andreas or somebody off uh, Sweden Rolls. Mm. I did for a time try and limit myself to like only having five darkness points. And yeah. if I got more, then definitely spending them. <clears throat> but actually, I've gone back to, I've got a lot more relaxed about darkness points because I know that, you know, particularly now that I am giving them away for little things that might have happened anyway, which I feel makes narrative sense to me. Yeah. Uh, you know, a couple of sessions ago, you had 20-odd uh, darkness points in my pool. Now you're down to 12. Um, and it feels about right. Mm, and yeah. actually, I I kind of like the idea that you do go, well, I'm not worried about karma hitting me now. What I'm worried about is the situation now. Yeah. Karma can come at me later on. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, th I do also wonder whether there's a thing which this has just popped into my head. Uh, which which is not always a good thing. But you could even have, when, as a GM, you get to a point of, say, 20 darkness points or 25 darkness points, you could then have a whole scenario based around the players getting a vision or a dream from the icons saying, mm. you must repent for all this darkness. And the scenario itself is about doing something yeah. to repent for that before the axe falls and the darkness points all get spent in one scene or something. So the yeah, players, or, the, the icons are warning them for their, their poor behaviour. Uh, yes, or even I think you could potentially, uh, I, I may, maybe we'll consider this, crappy things happen in space all at once. So one of the things I did this time um, to kind of, because I feel I haven't, put, I, I've been hand-waving a lot of space travel in this adventure just yeah. to get onto the next chapter. And I thought on the on the way back to um, to Coriolis, I'd spend a bit more time getting you to roll on some lovely tables they've got for incidents that might happen in yes. in travel, which aren't the ones in the compendium. They're ones in the in the in the book itself, but there are those ones in the compendium. You know, spend a darkness point and make the people roll, and you know, and maybe you could spend twenty five darkness points on something happening really shittily in space that feels dreamlike. I've been, I'm reminded of that very first adventure that we did on on a podcast where it was a bottle episode because Andy couldn't turn up. So I ran one where you and Tony yeah. were awake in transit space. So there could be an incident like that that happens yeah. where darkness points get spent because you are simply in the wrong place <laughs> in a state yeah. that you shouldn't be in. Yeah, and that was a and great, that could be that dreamlike. Great you know, I tried to make that, that feel one. quite dreamlike. Yeah, that was a really good yeah. scenario. That was that was 
one that really sticks in my mind and then the the ending where well, I was yes, to convince you... Tony to go into stasis and uh, he was able to ask me a favour and the favour was to forgive him when he tells me about something later on. It was brilliant. Yes. That was really cool. Really good. Yeah, that was good. <sighs> yeah. Maybe we'll get back to those characters. Maybe. I would like to play them again, but I think the problem is with our group, we're so enjoying Forbidden Lands that you're running yeah. for us that... Um, it's just Piptus for the Coriolis. Yeah, um, yeah. But only just. But yeah, I think given the choice of playing Tengrail or playing uh, Yafet, I think I'd still just Pip want to play Tengrail just for now. Mm. But uh, well, I say just for now covers us for the next three years or something, doesn't it? Yeah, I, exactly. I'm just reminded of another bit of uh, World of Gaming news that we should maybe have mentioned, although it was no news at all. Is hmm. there's still no announcement about Mercy of the Icons Part 3. No. So we may be forced to take a break from Coriolis in about 12 weeks. Okay. If I've got no more material <laughs> in that adventure. Yeah. So maybe maybe we we could return to those characters then. I don't know. We'll hmm. we'll think of a thing. Um if we want uh, anyway. That, yeah. That's getting, Something to think about. That, yeah, I guess it's yeah. Don't want to exclude so, our other friends. Faith. Andy. Toto faith in yes. Coriolis. This is what we're meant to be talking about. <laughs> yes, sorry. Yeah. Um, it, it kind of drops straight into a conversation about push mechanics and, you know, what what what, what can you use them for? So we, we talked about uh, one of the things we love so much about the free league games is that the push mechanic in each game is so genre appropriate and it actually mm -hmm. encourages and enhances the feel of the game through the mechanics of the push, uh, the push, the, the approach to pushing. Um, I think, yeah, I think Faith would work perfectly well in, Corio in Coriolis if you wanted to do that. Um, you know, we, we've, we've been using the version of Faith that you've talked about in your piece for the last couple of years it's modified in a couple of ways i think we'd i'd originally hoped it would do kind of slightly more um but we've kind of reined back from that to where we are now which i think works really nicely kind of in certain circumstances i, I still wonder whether we we have a developmental task ahead of us just to think a little bit about whether there is something more we could get from the faith mechanic in terms of the old west but as it stands now i think it does pretty much what kind of the you know the religion side of of coriolis does so mm. you, you, you gain a mechanical advantage by preparatory prayer you gain a mechanical advantage by a prayer to the icons in the middle of in the middle of the moment when you're trying to shoot the bad guy yeah uh, I so actually preparatory prayer is a thing that I didn't put in that piece, and um, uh, given that I haven't actually finished writing it and recording it yet, maybe <laughs> maybe we'll sneak it back in there. But no, so um, I think the uh, the idea of if you've prayed to a if you've made some sort of devotion to a particular icon when you'd last earned a point by making that devotion, then then you get to do the two dice bonus thing. I think that should be part of it because I love that idea. So for me, 
what I love about the darkness point mechanic is it does force a slightly alien behavior to most role players. Mm. And I've used this example again and again, but when we played Christian knights in Pendragon, we never role played going to church. No. And you no. guys role play going to chapel every time that something shitty is about to happen, you know, or when you're preparing for a meeting or you're, you know, yes. that. And I just love the way that happens. And so what I wanted with this is can we have a system that, that encourages or even forces people, you know, to to behave in particular ways that are specific to the setting of yeah. Coriolis to earn the right for their rerolls. Um, yes, yeah, and and that's all. And, you know, that's what we kind of did with Tales of the Old West. Yeah, I mean, obviously, grooming your horse is not going to be a feature of um, uh, of the Coriolis faith system. If I were to introduce that. The Coriolis faith system wouldn't include grooming your horse, and it would include going to chapel, and it would include. Uh, yeah, I mean, it might include, you know, sweeping your chapel rather than actually praying. Oh um, yes, you know, yeah, it, no, it, it may it, well, it, yeah, it might include those kind of things that are slightly different. Um, I, I, I guess for Coriolis, so the thing with faith in tales of the old west is. We've been very specific in saying to to players, this isn't necessarily about religious faith if you don't want mm. it to be. You know, we're not forcing players to be tub thumping Christians or Mormons or, or whatever religion they want to follow. Um, no, because it can be you know the faith in many other things, the faith in yourself, the faith in your family to to pull through, the faith in nature or whatever, um, the faith in your the spirits or you know the, the balance between the Native Americans in the land, or whatever it might be. Mm. Uh, in Coriolis, though, I think we are talking about religious faith. You know, we're talking about faith in the icons, in that sense. Unless, of course, you wanted to port that that kind of, that, that, that philosophy, that principle across, and say, well, actually, it, the faith, you don't have to have faith in the icons. You can have faith in yourself. I don't think that works quite so well in Coriolis as it does in something like uh, Tales of the Old West. Yeah, um, so I, you're making me think, actually, there could be a thing. <laughs> so, yeah, like you, when I wrote it, I was thinking, yeah, we strip out all the um, uh, all, all the stuff that's like going for a ride in the countryside, which we talk about yeah. giving you faith. And because I was thinking it very much of, you no, know, it's got to be actual religious faith in the icons. But, you know... Having just said that bit, which I didn't include in, um, and I won't now because of what I'm about to say. <laughs> having said, well, you know, if you if you make a devotion to a particular icon and then that icon is the person that you need to pray to when you're in the middle of combat or whatever, you get that two dice bonus. Yeah. I You could actually run it where you can have faith in yourself or non-religious faith, but you never get that two dice bonus because you're not objectifying that you know, that one icon, you know, so yeah. you could say, well, if you want to believe in the icons, you will be rewarded for your faith in the icons. Yeah. But the rest of you, if you want to play atheist, then the same mechanic does work for you as long as you do the sort of uh, but your not... own personal ritual or yes, your, your own, you know, so some of those things about helping a buddy, giving you each a point of faith if you save a buddy's life or yeah. you know, things like that. that, that can still happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's an interesting thing that just reminded me of, I remember Tony saying that you know, the, the thing with Coriolis is that the icons, the gods are real. 
And you know they're real because, because of that positive effect. Exactly. You pray to them mm. and something positive can happen. Um, so there is definitely a, there is kind of evidence that the icons are real and are there to support, uh, yeah, support or help you. Uh, whereas in, in other places, so, you know, in, in Tales of the Old West, you know, your faith might be, let's just say, for example, with the Christian church uh, and your belief in God and Jesus and all that. You're not getting help from God or Jesus in doing that. No. It's the the effect it has on you psychologically. Your, and, your inner your yeah. inner strength really is what that's um, all about. Yeah. But it's based upon that particular faith. Uh, yeah. So it's a different it's a slightly different nuance to to sort of the narrative way of describing it. Yeah. So anyway, it's hard, it's a half formed idea, but it's one I, I, I felt I urgently needed to get out, which is why we're talking about it on this episode. And I guess I, yeah. one of the reasons I I want to put this out and say to Coriolis players out there, what do you think? And what, you know, what particular acts that could earn you faith points or whatever we called them? I kind of like the idea of calling it devotion as opposed to faith. But yes, but, I think um, I like that. Yeah, I think devotion works very well for Coriolis. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Feedback although, to us although, on although, then, if you wanted to play an atheist, that doesn't really, that might not necessarily apply quite so well. No, then we could go back to faith, couldn't we? Or, or, yeah. or something like that. Or something yeah. similar. We could probably find yeah. another word if faith wasn't the right one. So, that's cult, two questions we're asking, we're asking our listeners yeah. then. Would you do it so it has to be religious devotion? Or would you do it so, like we have in Tales of the Odd West, it can be faith in in a particular outlook that could be a an atheist outlook yeah and then what are the acts that earn you the points that uh, you can actually spend yes yeah. and another thing i guess actually so this is about so one of the pleasures that i liked uh originally of darkness points is that people can push their dice as many times as they like they're just storing up bad shit for, to happen later on <laughs> This definitely puts a limit on it. Should there be a limit on the number of faith points um, that an individual player holds? We've got one in Tales of the Old West, but um, let's ask that question again for Coriolis. Mm. Cool. It's interesting, though, because I'm just thinking, because, again, I there's a bit of me, a small part of the game designer in me, that doesn't like arbitrary limits. On the <laughs> um, we've got we've got one in Tales of the Old West at the moment, but I I I wonder if the reason we have that is because the the means of gaining faith <clears throat> are too wide and generous, and whether whether there's a thing about narrowing and or defining more closely what actually earns you a point of faith, and then you yes. don't, and then you don't necessarily need. An arbitrary limit. I don't know because I think in my play tests, people have actually had to devote times. You know, people haven't had enough faith; they've spent their faith quickly. Yes. Yeah. I, Although I actually, that play too. test was with yeah. a random with a random cost cost of faith points. That it wasn't just one just faith one. point every time. Yeah. Sometimes was I can't remember quite how the random thing worked, and we stopped that. But they did run out of faith quite quickly. So the, ra the random, had to make the random time. thing was that if you, for every one that came up on the roll after having pushed, you lost a point of faith. That was it. Yeah. So you might lose none, but you might lose mm. one or two. Now, and that 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 so 
I, I mean, there's a bit of me that likes that. Mm. The problem we had and the thing that we've kind of hijacked that mechanic for is the idea of mishaps. Yeah. And I, yeah, uh, we're about to diverge onto another sort of game design question <laughs> is should every game have mechanically the opportunity to fumble and critical? Yeah. Um, because that if we if we say that we don't need to bother with mishaps. Uh, a mishap, we could go back to that point of faith mm. of, of, of costing faith. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm not a Same big thing. fan of fumbles. I mean this is this is time for another discussion. It's probably not one that we want to share with our listeners <laughs> right yet. Although I think <laughs> but yeah, I've got, an, my, I've got a point, but carry on, yeah. I, I, I always resent one of the things I don't like about a 5e and actually it's not a thing in the rules of 5e so the rules of 5e when you get a natural 20 you always score a crit yeah but when you get a natural one you don't in the rules always fumble and yet many a GM says oh bad luck mate you've got to fumble that yeah you know and either they narrate a crappy thing that happens or you have to choose a crappy thing that happens that's not actually the rules of D&D and it mm-hmm. pisses me off you have a 20% chance of an embarrassing failure and not just a failure. Really makes me cross. So in my heart of hearts, I'm not a massive fan of fumbles. I haven't got a problem with our mishaps because what we're trying to do with those mishaps is create, you know, things that you see in the fiction of the Old West. And there's, you know, and there's relatively small chance of it happening in the way we've got it at the moment. But yeah, I think that is a question, a philosophical question that we can spend a little bit of time on. Because you could one one way which works potentially quite well already uh, in Year Zero engine games, if the GM wants to apply it, is that no successes isn't just a fail. You didn't succeed at what you did. Yeah. No successes actually comes at some other minor cost, and so, mm. so and it you, might even be a success in what you were trying to achieve, but with something else happening. So you could you could encourage the GM to see zero successes as a potentially a mishap. Yeah. But dependent upon the moment and what the role was for and whether there is a nice narrative twist or development that you could put in as mm. a part of that. So like say if you're if you're in the middle of a fight, the GM could rule that zero successes means you've you know you've you've thudded your knife into the wall so hard that your knife is stuck. Yeah, I'm. I'm less enamoured of fumbles in combat. Um, yeah. I'm, having said, I'm not enamoured. Uh, I'm more accepting, shall I say, of fumbles outside of combat because I think in a combat situation, you know, the cost of failing is the other bloke's going to hit you. <laughs> Possibly, <yeah. laughs> and that's got yeah. a cost. Um, yeah, true, so true. I, I'm. I'm not massively keen on fumbles in failing, but we are. We could. We could talk about this for another hour, and I've That's noticed true. we've recorded yeah. an hour, and uh, it's time to end the podcast. So our short episode has become quite long anyway, which is great. As usual. <laughs> as usual. Yeah, I mean, we just don't know when to shut up, do we? But I think there's a couple of interesting <laughs> topics there that we could we could talk about next time. Or uh, Yeah. Uh, okay, then. Do you want to... Do you want to... Set yourself some homework for next about, time about, about fumbles. Fumbles and mishaps. Yeah, okay. That's cool. Yeah. Crit- criticals and fumbles. Yeah. Brilliant. Cool. Okay, that's your task. In year zero generally or in 
Tales of the Old West? What's I your think gen- I think generally, but then okay. fo- then focus it probably down to Tales of the Old West. Actually, cool. Yes, because we've got it. We you know the, you've highlighted an issue that we need to develop more. We want to get a new version of Tales of the Old West out to our patrons, and yep. it would be good maybe to consider this before it goes out. Yeah, let's do that. Top cool. plan. Excellent. There's your homework, Dave. No problems. And um, what should we say? Uh, goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. And, and may the icons bless your adventures. If you believe in the icons, that is. Otherwise, <laughs> it could be maybe your inner self blesses your adventures. Well, See, it just but, doesn't work, does it? But, well, no, maybe not. But then, of course, you've uh, got to have faith, faith, faith. <laughs> You've got to have faith, faith, faith. No, stop singing! You have been listening to The Effect Podcast. Presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea, used with permission of Free League Publishing.